Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen and welcome. I'm glad uh, you've joined us for worship this morning. Uh, we've got a small tech crew here. We've got some folks working in the production room. We've got some folks working in this uh, worship center. And uh, of course, we've got the praise team and we've got some staff here. But beyond that, this is an empty place. And it's really odd not having you here. And I'm looking forward to that time when we're going to be back together again. Somebody asked me not too uh, many days ago, they asked and said, how in the world are you going to preach to a bunch of empty seats? And in my mind, I was thinking and saying, um, I'm not going to be preaching to a bunch of empty seats. I'm going to be preaching to a church that I love and that I miss, a church that I can't see, but a church that is uh, here and, uh, and is ready and willing and able uh, to hear God's word and ready to serve. And I'm so proud, so glad, and so grateful to be uh, with you in this journey. I want to challenge you as we come to, to look at the Word together, to have your Bibles open, and uh, I want to encourage you today. That is uh, really at the heart of what we're about this morning. I want to encourage you from God's Word. I want to take a classic uh, text, the one that Brandon just shared with us, and uh, I want to give you some encouragement and by God's grace, build some strength into our church family and others as we make our way through this pandemic. We want to pause consequently then uh, from our All In, Holding Nothing Back series, and we're going to spend four weeks in a series I've entitled The Pandemic and Your Soul, Staying Spiritually Healthy in a Time of Physical Disease and Economic Uncertainty. Now, I don't need to make the case uh, for the series. You, you feel it. Uh, we all feel it. Uh, we're asking this question, it seems to me. Uh, can we cope? Will, will we be able to cope? And uh, we're asking that physically. Are we going to be able to, to cope? Uh, will, will there be uh, enough opportunity for me to stay healthy? Will the hospitals be able to function? Will they be overwhelmed if I get sick? Will the hospitals be able to, to receive me? Uh, are we going to be able to cope socially? I, I had a... a, a, a sad email not too long ago from a young woman whom uh, I was going to marry in a couple of weeks. And she just said, Pastor, we're going to have to cancel. We can't have our wedding. We can't have our honeymoon. We're asking the question, uh, are we going to be able to cope economically? There's incredible uncertainty that exists. Uh, many of us are working from home now. There are those of us who've already been laid off. Some have been let go. And uh, there are those who have had a comfortable retirement uh, savings. Uh, two weeks ago who are no longer so comfortable. As I've been thinking about this and trying to process this rather surreal uh, experience that we're having, I was reminded of C.S. Lewis in an essay that uh, he wrote entitled On Living in, in an Atomic Age, uh, where he, he reflects on what it's like to live in uncertain times. And he says this, he says, if you're a naturalist, that is, if you don't believe there's anything here but those things that you can see, taste, touch, and feel, then you're left really in these kind of times with three options. You're left with the option either of just uh, giving up on life 
or the option of uh, going the Epicurean route, which is to say, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or you're left with the option of the Stoic saying, I'm going to accept it and I'm going to defy it. And the way we do that, of course, is with Clorox and stockpiling cans of tuna in our garage and, and uh, Netflix and Hulu. But the point that, that uh, Lewis makes is that every one of those options for a naturalist, someone who doesn't have faith in God, ends in despair. And, and there are things we can do and things we should do. We, yes, we should practice social distancing by all means, and, and we should be very, very careful. But for those of us who have faith in, in the God of creation and the God of the Bible— there is a spiritual dimension that is actually of greater significance than the material for us. And that spiritual dimension, which is eternal, outranks and outweighs the uh, physical dimension that is temporary. And it's right here in the spiritual in, in the, that we find the best and, and real answers for our situation. There's no amount of toilet paper hoarding. There is uh, no, no set amount of canned tuna stocked in our garages that uh, can do for us what faith anchored in the living God can do for us. Nothing that can be done for us like faith in him. So I want you to, if you would, take your Bibles and let's look together at uh, John chapter 14, John chapter 14. And we're going to be asking the question, we're going to be asking the question, what can faith do in times of great fear? What can faith do in times of great fear? Now, we're going to be looking at that from uh, the standpoint of John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Beginning at verse 1. I hope you find it. Now, here we go. Here we go. Sometimes you drop your sermon notes and you do it live online. I'm just glad you're with me and that you're so understanding. All right. Let's take a look at this together. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. We're asking the question, what can faith do when fear comes? And we have Jesus' answer here. Uh, allow me to set the context for you if I could. In John chapter 13, uh, we find that Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room uh, for what is going to be a, a final or a last supper. And he says to them, essentially, I, I have an announcement for you. I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. And what is more, I'm leaving you and where I'm going, you can't come. This announcement shocks and, and astounds his disciples. Uh, they, they are thrown into a panic. Fear comes crowding in. These are men who have, except one, given their hearts and all of their lives to Christ. Uh, they've given up everything to follow him. They've given up family. They've given up jobs. They've given up uh, their way of life. They love him deeply and they love him well because he's loved them so deeply and he's loved them so well. And now he says to them words they don't want to hear and they can't really begin to fathom. He says, I'm going to be leaving you and where I'm going, you can't come. And so they're devastated. Trouble has come. Fear has come with it. And Jesus says, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Two weeks ago when life was still normal, we said that without a doubt, it's easier to love when life is easy to live. But that when life is hard, it becomes really challenging to be able to love. Well, here's the reality. Life just got hard. And love isn't the only challenge that we face. Fear is one of those challenges. Worry is one of those challenges. And so today I want to talk to you about what fear and worry can actually do to your soul. We're so mindful of what could happen to us physically and what could happen to us economically and what could happen to us socially and what could happen to us relationally. But I don't want us to forget that something could happen if we're not careful. Something could happen to us spiritually. And that while we're caring for our bodies, we ought also to be caring for our souls. And fear can shrivel a believer's soul. That's why 1 John 4 reminds us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So we want to ask this question, how can the faithful use their faith to defeat fear? Now in our passage, Jesus gives us a powerful and a practical answer to that question of how faith can function in the midst of fear to overcome it. He gives us a command for triumph, and he gives us here in this passage a call to trust. And in John chapter 14, we find Jesus acting immediately to help his first disciples deal with the trouble that has come upon them. He knows it's critical for their souls. And so he doesn't let them stay troubled for very long, but he moves very quickly from John 13 to John 14 to speak directly to their trouble. He gives them direction and he gives them comfort first in the form of a command and then in the form of a call. And I want to break this passage up, just this one verse between the two as we look at them this morning. First, see with me the command for trouble in verse 1a. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And so what we see Jesus doing is immediately he answers the, uh, the disciples' concerns uh, and he says something to them that none of us would have ever expected him to say. Right from the beginning, Jesus makes it plain, and don't miss this, don't miss this, that the trouble they're feeling on the inside amidst the troubling news that's coming from the outside represents for them a choice. It represents a choice. Many of us find it easy to give up. Many of us find it easy to give in to troubled feelings on the inside when trouble comes from the outside. And indeed, most of us feel like we have absolutely no choice. When trouble comes storming into our lives, we feel like we have no choice about it, that because trouble is coming at us, trouble must come from us as well. When troubles we're facing are greater than we are, when they're more complicated than our minds can handle, we feel as if we have no option. It's when these kinds of troubles, it's when COVID-19 comes, it's, it's when the threat of, of uh, coronavirus comes that we really begin to recognize how helpless we really are. And in such times, we inevitably find that trouble moves in, it, it takes over, and will not go away. And um, I don't need to remind us of this, but it's good to voice it. In times like this, 
we see how true it is that you and I never have life under control. Four weeks ago, we didn't have life under control. Two weeks ago, we didn't have life under control. Today, we don't have life under control. Here's the reality. We live in a world and we live in a life where with just one phone call, just one phone call, our entire lives can change forever. And it is in such a world as ours that it can seem that being troubled by trouble is the only possibility that's open to us. But Jesus shows us in John 14, 1, that being troubled by trouble is not our only option. Look at it more closely with me. Indeed, what other option do we have? We might ask that question, but look carefully, first of all, at what Jesus says. Look at what he says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the sense of this is very, very strong. It means stop letting your hearts be troubled. The idea here is that of stopping an action or an activity that has already begun. And that activity is trouble on the inside that comes from the outside. The word trouble. Here conveys the notion of disturbance or agitation. And so we've got this incredible picture of a heart and a mind that are roiling like, like a boiling pot on a stove. It's just agitated as it can be. And that is exactly where the disciples find themselves. And that's where many of us find ourselves out of control with hearts that are troubled, with fears that are everywhere we look. Jesus says, don't let or stop letting your hearts be troubled. But look carefully with me at how Jesus says this. It's a command. It has powerful implications. By commanding his disciples to stop, Jesus is implying that when trouble comes into their lives, they have both the capacity and the choice to stop the trouble in their hearts. Their troubles don't have to triumph, Jesus says. Troubles don't have to confuse them with worry or paralyze them with fear. And I, I don't know about you, but I find this to be incredible news because for me, I've never known a time where worry has ever really helped me. I've never really known a time where worry actually solved a single problem of mine. What I do know is that when I have worried, when faced with trouble, worry has made my troubles worse. It has never made them better. There's something positive here that I want you to see. Jesus' command for handling trouble means that his disciples, you and me and those in that upper room, can choose to be untroubled in spite of the trouble around us. Trouble on the outside doesn't necessarily mean anxiety or fear or confusion or defeat on the inside. Negatively, Jesus' command for handling trouble means that whenever his disciples have a, have a consistently agitated or disturbed heart over any kind of matter, it's always evidence of a personal choice to be troubled. It is a proof of a choice to be in bondage on the inside to circumstances when Jesus has already made a way for us to be truly free. And I would imagine there are many of us living right here, right now, with those kind of hearts, many of us living in such defeat because this trouble has come into our lives and we're really struggling with a way to defeat it. And, and here comes Jesus with this, this extraordinary word and he comes to you and he comes to me and he says, stop. <laughs> and, and we want to say to him, yeah, yeah, yes, Lord, I, I want to stop. 
but how? Thankfully, Jesus helps us to know how with real success. Do you see, not only with this command, he gives us a call. Look at the end of verse 1. Jesus goes on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus calls his disciples to triumph in their troubles by doing this. Watch now, watch carefully. By replacing their fear and their worry. The fear and the worry that trouble brings with something called faith. Now, Shirley, I know, I know, I know. That sounds churchy. I know, it sounds simple, too simple. Jesus' call to believers is simple in a sense. His call in the midst of trouble is belief. But, but how does that work? The answer of the Bible, literally from cover to cover, is that it does work. And, and, and in so many ways, if you, if you think about it, the Bible is a story of faith triumphing over trouble from beginning to end. And, and it demonstrates to us that God is always positively and powerfully at work on behalf of those who trust him. This is the essential truth behind that great classic passage from Romans 8, where Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, which is that they become conformed to the image of his son. God is always working all things together for our greatest good. And, and as a consequence of that truth, this is what Jesus is saying. It is what Paul says later. We can choose triumph by trusting, by replacing the fear that is natural with a faith that is actually supernatural. But just what is it, someone might ask, and rightly so, what is it that Jesus invites us or calls us to do? Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. The fuller meaning of this in the original language is, keep on believing in God, keep on believing in me. Jesus shows us here that Faith or trust in the midst of trouble is not simply a deliberate choice to stop worrying, but it is also a deliberate choice. Watch this now. A deliberate choice to place our full confidence in the God we cannot see in spite of the trouble that we can see. Practically speaking, faith in troubled times is an act whereby we simply relinquish doubt. Faith chooses to say, Lord, I don't understand why this trouble has come. And Lord, I don't understand what the answer is, but I relinquish, watch now, the why and the what of it all to you. Faith chooses, watch now, not to say, Lord, first, you've got to explain to me the whys for all of this, and then I will trust you. Faith chooses not to say, Father, you must also give me the house of your solution to my trouble for me to consider it and approve it uh, before you, you act on it. But instead, faith simply says, Sovereign God, I'm not going to ask you why. Sovereign God, I'm not going to ask you how. I'm not going to ask you why, because truth be told, I may not be able to understand your answer. And I'm not going to ask you how, because truth be told, I don't need to know how you're going to fix it. But here's what I do know. 
if I try to prescribe for myself the solution to a global pandemic, I'm going to get it wrong every time. If I'm going to try to come up with my own solution for my own fears physically, economically, socially, I'm going to get it wrong every time. I'm not going to ask you how you're going to fix it. I'm not going to ask you why this has happened. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rest in you. My soul needs to rest and it needs to find its rest, not in how much water I've got stored or how many groceries I've got in my pantry. My, my soul needs to rest not in the, in the confidence that, that my, my job is safe or, or, or whatever. But it's far better for me to remember who you are, my heavenly father. Far better for me to rely on you like a heavenly doctor and to let you write out the prescription that my life needs in order for, make, for me to make it through. Far better for me simply to wait as you write that prescription, to wait as you deliver that prescription, to wait as you start to apply it to my life. You see, loved ones, faith in troubled times involves surrendering yourself and surrendering your trouble even when you don't know his solution. But just how do you practice that kind of surrender? Jesus suggests that the first and fundamental step required is this, that whenever trouble appears, the first step we've got to take, if we're going to have the triumph that God says can be ours, when trouble comes, we must first go and check the foundations of our faith in God. We got to go to the things of God upon which we've already built our lives and see that they're still intact. What, what are the foundations of our faith? The foundations of faith that Jesus points to in verse one essentially consist of the person of God, who he is, the work of God, what he has done and what he's doing and what he's promised to do. Jesus invites us to keep on believing in who the father is, what the father has done, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing and what he will do. Do. What power this prescription has. Watch, 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 watch. We, we've said again and again that it is our thinking that drives our feeling that drives our doing. And what I'm challenging you to do is hear this call of Jesus. Jesus is essentially saying, go back, go back, go back. Move from here, which is your natural place of response. Come back here. Remember who your father is. Come back here. Remember who I am. Come back here. Remember what I have done. Come back here. Remember what my father has done. And remember what we have promised. In changing, confusing, chaotic times, it is not only good, but it is absolutely necessary to remember that the person, the purposes, and the plans of God, they never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and this is what that means. Watch this. It means that if he genuinely loved you yesterday, you can be sure that he still loves you today. If he was faithful to you yesterday, he will still be faithful to you today. 
And if he had power for your yesterday, he still has power for your today and for your tomorrow. Our God, loved ones, is more than sufficient for any trouble that we face. More than sufficient. Go back. Go back to the foundations. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember what he's promised. Lift your eyes up. Away from the virus and all of the implications of it. We need a little less CNN and a little less Fox News and a lot more Jesus. Our question, how can the faithful use their faith to defeat fear? And the answer found in this truth is this. Every trouble you and I face in life comes to us from God as an invitation to triumph over it by trusting him, by replacing fear with faith. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, let me suggest three pairs of questions and three great truths for troubled times that you and I can ask and, and can help our souls rest as this trouble has come into our lives. They will help remind us of who the God is that we trust. The vital questions, they're vital truths, vital questions and truths that you and I need right now. The first one is this. What can God do and what can he do? We're going back to the basics. The answer is there is absolutely nothing that is impossible with Almighty God. The only thing the scripture says God cannot do is, is to act contrary to his nature. He cannot, for example, lie, Hebrews 6 says. And the great truth for, this, for, for trouble coming out of this question is, is this. When trouble comes, there's nothing that can keep God from helping you. Our God is an omnipotent God. He has all the power there is. And that, that's why, in the end, it really doesn't matter what trouble we're facing. What your trouble is, what my trouble is, it doesn't matter how impossible it may seem to us. There is no impossibility in the economy of God. In fact, it is the impossible things that come into our lives that allow us, if we walk through them with faith, to actually see the glory, the greatness, and the goodness of God. I've come to know God far better when I've faced those impossible times, when i face those uncertain times. I've come to know him far, far better. I know something more of his glory, his greatness, and his goodness, because here's the reality, loved ones. Here's the reality. Our God is a father who will not abandon his children and he will not abandon you and he will not abandon your family. God still has all the power to help you and me at the very point of our need. A second question we can ask is, what does God know and what does he not know? In Psalm 139, the, the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. In the midst of trouble, the scripture affirms God knows. God knows the trouble we're facing. He knows the pain we're feeling. He knows the answers we need. 
And this means that you and I don't need to know the answers to our troubles. All we need to know is that he knows the answer to our troubles. Sometimes I've learned in life that the very best, the richest, the deepest response I can make is simply to say, the Father knows. And as I've walked with him, I've learned to say that more and more and find that's enough. Maybe the, the richer, the better way of saying it is, my Father knows. He knows. And so it's important for us to remember and believe that no trouble that we're experiencing has missed God's attention or taken him by surprise. He knows the problem and he knows its ultimate and best solution. In fact, he is its ultimate and best solution. And if you have Christ, you have the Father. A third question every believer must ask and answer in trouble is this. Does God really love me? And is there any trouble that can keep me from experiencing his love? Sometimes in the midst of those troubles that come into our lives, we're tempted to doubt whether God actually cares. And it doesn't take too many dark nights or too many bright days that feel like dark nights before we're tempted to say things like, if God really loved me, how could he allow this to come into my life? God, have you lost your love for me? God is careful to remind us again and again in his word that nothing can separate us from his love and his triumph in Christ. And that nothing includes trouble. And so a third truth for trouble is that no trouble we're experiencing means an end to his love and care. If we look carefully, we will always find God and his love there. He is a God who's simply will not fail his children. So loved ones, if in every trouble we face and with every trouble we face in this life, there comes an invitation to triumph over it by trusting God. And if this invitation is received by hearing and heeding Christ's command to stop letting your heart be troubled, by answering his call to trust the God we cannot see, then it means that his call to trust the God we cannot see is a call to trust him in spite of the trouble we do see. It is an invitation to those who already trust Christ for eternal life to also trust him in the face of life's greatest troubles. And this is what Christ has for all who are his, for all who hear him. For all who believe him when he says in troubled times, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Or stop letting your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And loved ones, his command, his call are for you and for me right here, right now in the midst of this pandemic we're experiencing. By faith, there is triumph in troubled times. 
during the uh, bubonic plague of the 16th century. Uh, the great theologian Martin Luther offered his thoughts in a, in a letter on uh, how to handle that plague. He entitled it, Where You Can Flee from a Deadly Plague. He was writing on how best to overcome it spiritually. And knowing that the mind impacts the heart, which impacts the hands, he counsels believers to think in a certain way. And this is what he says. He says, think this way. You're facing the bubonic plague, think this way. You're facing COVID-19, think this way. Very well, he says, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly awful. Therefore, I, I shall ask God mercifully to help us. Then he says, I shall fumigate. I shall help purify the air. I will administer medicine and I will take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence isn't needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will sure find me and I will have done what is expected of me and so I am not responsible for my own death or for the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but I will go freely. I love his attitude and I love his spirit. You see, it is okay to be concerned. It is okay to be concerned. It's important to be careful, but it's required in the end that we be faithful. And it is part of our great gift from God in Jesus Christ for us to be able to say that the one who broke for us the greatest pandemic, the pandemic of sin, the one who demonstrated his capacity over the, the greatest problem we ever faced, separation from God, this same one, who has triumphed over death, hell, and the grave is the one who invites us not just to trust him for the greatest pandemic, but for this pandemic and for every other problem that comes across the horizon of our lives. It's okay to be concerned. It's necessary to take care. But it is absolutely imperative that we stay faithful, for it is by faith we are able in Christ to triumph over everything that would trouble us. It is by faith and faithfulness that we will be able, even in a pandemic like this, to look like Jesus and love like Jesus and care like Jesus when it comes to our family, our church family, our neighbors, and anyone else in need. By faith in Christ, we can triumph over trouble. So where you are right now, I, I wanna ask you just to set your Bible aside and I want us to come now to a place of decision and declaration.
For some of you, as you pause and, and as you reflect on the last couple of weeks, yes, I, I know your head has been spinning. Mine has too. Maybe, maybe you have rushed to take care of the physical and the social and even the economic. I don't know. But maybe you, you haven't really paused to think about the condition of your soul. And maybe, just maybe, you've sensed that that really is where you should begin, and, and in truth it is. The reality is, we've got to start here in the soul if we're going to make it out there. So here, with your Bible set aside, I want to invite you, if you would, take a moment right now, bow your head. Maybe you need to confess your fear to God. Maybe you need to confess your worry. Maybe you've been leaning into Clorox and the stuff you've got hoarded. Maybe, maybe you've just given up. Maybe you've cast everything to the wind and said, you know what, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow, I'm going to, I may die. Maybe that's, maybe you've just been stoic. I don't know, but none of those are faith-filled responses. There's a fourth way, there's a better way. That way is Jesus. Maybe right there in your living room, if you're sitting with your family, maybe what you could do and should do is just join hands right where you are and say, Lord, this house is your house. Our family is your family, we trust you the end of the day, we trust you. Maybe, maybe what you do after this worship service is open, over, maybe what you do is you pick up the phone. If you're single, you live alone and you call a friend and you pray together over the phone. And together you make fresh commitments of yourselves and each other to the Lord and just say, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We see what you've done for us through Christ on the cross, Calvary, and in the resurrection. And Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. We're going back to the foundations of our faith, remembering who you are and what you've done. We trust you. We trust you. Perhaps as you're watching this morning, here's the reality you realize that you've lived all your life without a fourth way. That you've lived all of your life believing that the only things that are real, that, are, that, are, that, that matter, that have value, are the things you can see, taste, touch, and feel, and experience. And maybe you're realizing for the first time or the clearest time that the other three options are really just roads to despair with all your heart you know there's got to be more and I'm glad you're there I believe God's going to use this pandemic to bring a lot of people to a place where they realize their need of him and they will turn to him perhaps that's you I want to challenge you I want to invite you 
turn to him today. Jesus came and lived in such a way that he had no sin. And by God's redemptive plan, he went to the cross to take the place of sinners so that in taking the place of sinners, others might enjoy the results of his righteous or right living, be forgiven and be given a a relationship, a new relationship, living relationship with God as Father through faith in Jesus, his Son. And if you will today acknowledge your need of a Savior, acknowledge the presence of your sin, the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus stands ready to welcome you into his family. And as you take that step to give him your life and place your faith in him, what you will find is that you have a father who will not fail. He is the fourth way. And he's ready to forgive you and give you new life. You have the opportunity online to share with us any prayer concerns or prayer requests. We've got people ready and waiting to talk with you, to pray with you. I invite you to take and make use of that. Now, we're going to come to the offering time in, in, our, uh, in our service. Uh, first, I want to say something to you. I want to say how thankful I am, Senator Grove, for your faithfulness to give and for your generosity. Uh, we would not be able to, to do this uh, broadcast had you not been faithful. But by God's grace and uh, your generosity, we're able to have the uh, uh, equipment and the ability to do this very thing. So I want to thank you for that. I'm so grateful, so thankful for your generosity. And because of your generosity, uh, we've also been able to be a church that has been able to set aside resources for such a time as this. Uh, and so we've come into this, this uh, season strong. But here's the appeal I want to make to you. Here's something I know, I think we all know, that when this is over and done, and one day it will be over and done, there are going to be a lot of people with a lot of needs that are going to need a lot of our help and a lot of our ministry. So here's my challenge to our church. Please continue to give. Help us to stay strong so that when this is over, we can be strong for others. There are a number of different ways you can do that. And I know for some of you, this is odd. This is unusual because you're used to giving in a worship service like this. But there are uh, four ways that you can give. You can give by U.S. mail. That may be the easiest for some. Uh, 8750 Lassiter Road in Clements is the address. You put your envelope in there and mail it to us. That would work very well. But there are three electronic options available to you. And those uh, electronic options uh, include, first of all, visiting our website. If you go to the uh, first page, you'll find there is a Give tab along the top. If you click on that, it will walk you through it. You can give uh, by way of checking account or debit card or credit card. It's relatively easy. I tried it this weekend and not a big deal. There's a second way that you can give, and that is through the uh, Center Grove app 
on uh, your smartphone. If you go to the bottom of the page, you'll find a heart and you'll also find a place with that heart for giving. And again, it's very easy, same way, debit card, credit card, or uh, bank account. There's a third way that you can give and that is uh, by way of text. Uh, and if you will text this number, uh, seven, three, two, five, six, seven, two, seven, three, two, seven, three, two, five, six, and then text CG Life. Your address is seven, three, two, five, six, and text CG Life. You can give that way as well. And what Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to say to you, uh, as by way of encouragement, this ministry of, of, of giving will not only supply the needs of the saints, but will ultimately overflow to, in many, in thanksgiving to God. As they experience your generosity, as they continue to experience your generosity, they'll glorify God because of your submission that flows out of your confession, Paul says, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So loved ones, let's continue to be focused. Let's continue to be intentional. Let's continue to stand strong together. I thank you in advance for your faithfulness in these days. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I'm so grateful for the gift of your son and for the confidence that we can have in him. We're grateful, Lord, that regardless of what's happening around us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Find us faithful in these days, Father. Find us giving to you our fears, our worries, and our anxieties and our uncertainties. Find our souls, I pray, resting in you for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.